Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken cast down but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh so then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sake that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is describing the Christian ministry. He is describing the messenger. This is a description of what a minister is what a minister does. It's a description of the ministry. God's messenger. Now, God has called you to the ministry to be His messenger. And thus, the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians is very important for all of us, something that we need to study, something that we need to draw out concepts from this.
someone playing with the speaker in the back room or something? It's the whole system's gone. Tom, why don't you lead us in one more chorus while we're checking out the systems here.
press one. seeing we have received this ministry as we have received mercy we faint not <laughs> but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully One of the first things concerning the ministry is that we are ministers of God's Word. And there are many people who have been guilty of handling the Word of God deceitfully. It is tragic what goes on in the name of God and in the name of religion and in the name of Jesus Christ. The Reader's Digest this month, month has an interesting article on Scientology. And the guy who started Scientology back in 1950 or so was a writer and he wrote for a penny a word. And he said, writing for a penny a word is ridiculous. You can never get rich that way. The only way to get rich is to start a new religion. And so he decided to start a new religion, which he called Scientology. And, you know, all of this science fantasy fiction kind of stuff and the book on Dianetics and so forth, but it was all started with one purpose in mind, to get rich. And it worked. The guy is rich, very rich. And there are many people who have gone into the ministry with the concept of an easy way of life. It's a good living. And there are many who handle the Word of God deceitfully using craftiness. James said, Be not many masters knowing that you are going to receive 
the greater condemnation. I take the ministry very seriously. I take standing before people very seriously. I take representing God very seriously because you see, as a minister, I am God's representative. But the heavy thing is, is that God is going to hold me responsible as to how I represented him. I'm going to have to stand before God one day and give an answer for how I represented God. What attitude do people get or what idea or concept do people get from my life? God's a smoothie. God's a fast talker. God will put one over on you if you give him a chance. God's always broke. He's always begging for funds. God needs man's support to keep his work going. These are the types of concepts of God that have been put upon people. And someday we are going to give an account as God's representatives. You might be able to put it over on the people you won't put it over on God. You might get by with it. As far as man is concerned, you won't get by with it, with God. The Lord speaks about that servant to whom the master entrusted his goods as he went away into a far country. And how this servant did wickedly And how he mishandled his master's affairs. How that he used it for his own enrichment. And how when the master returned, he required that he give an accounting. And he said, cut him off and give him his portion with the unbelievers. For the Lord said, to whom much is required, given much is required. And he spoke about him being beaten with many stripes. Yet he who knew not the will of God, yet he did things worthy of many stripes, will be beaten with few. For unto whom much is given, much is required. Unto whom little is given, little is required. And as you dare to stand up before people as God's representative, God is going to require that you represent Him properly. Or else you're going to stand responsible before God with a greater responsibility than just an ordinary person who makes no move towards the ministry at all or no move towards being God's representative. We're familiar with Moses at the water of Mirabah. 
when the second time around through the wilderness, the people were murmuring and complaining and it got to Moses. He couldn't take it anymore. He came before God and said, God, I can't stand it. I've had it. I'm through. All I've heard for 40 years is this miserable griping and complaining. God, I can't take it. And God said, Moses, they're thirsty. They need water. Go out and speak to the rock that it might bring forth water. That didn't satisfy Moses. He came out before the men, the people, and he said, Must I smite this rock again and give you water? And he smote the rock in anger. Water came forth. God was merciful. But God is also just. He said, Moses, I'm going to talk to you. Moses, you did not represent me before those people. You were representing your own anger, your own feelings, your own emotions. You weren't representing me. I told you to speak to the rock. I didn't tell you to smite the rock. I said, speak to the rock. But in anger, you smote the rock. That wasn't representing me, Moses, and because you failed to represent me, you cannot go into the promised land. Now, this all is a picture. And that is why it was so important that Moses followed the instructions exactly and carefully. For in the New Testament, we are told concerning the whole wilderness experience, the rock and so forth, that this whole experience was the rock in the wilderness. He's, Paul said that rock was Jesus. That rock from which the water of life came forth for the people, that was Jesus. It was all a picture of Jesus. How that the water of life for us from God comes to us through Jesus. But it was necessary that the rock be smitten before the water came forth. So the cross was a necessity in order that the water of life might come forth to us from Him. But, once the rock was smitten, it needs never to be smitten again. For He died once and for all. And from that time on, all you have to do is speak to the rock and the water of life is available. Moses broke the whole analogy in smiting the rock twice. He destroyed the illustration that God was seeking to create of the once smitten rock giving forth the water of life and from then on just speak to the rock and the Life of God is yours. And though Moses sought the Lord diligently, the Lord refused his prayers, refused his requests, and he could not go into the promised land because he had failed to represent God at the waters of Mirabal. You stand before the people representing God. Never forget it. 
Never lose that awareness. Whenever you stand before people, realize I am God's representative standing here before them and they're going to get their ideas and concepts of God from what they see in me. I represent God. That is surely the heaviest obligation that could ever be upon any person to be God's representative. I do not take that at all lightly. I take that very seriously. And thus with Paul, there are times when my body is spent. There are times when I am so tired, my eyes start to cross. As I'm standing after a service and talking with people, and they keep coming up and keep coming up and keep coming up. And, and I get to where my head, I can't even concentrate. I, I, it's difficult to listen to what they are even saying. And my eyes start to pull in and just cross. I'm so tired. And I look and I see there's still others waiting. And I think, oh God, I can't do it. But I've got to do it. I am their link with God. And I can't really represent God as being impatient with them or not God, God not wanting to hear their problem or God not being concerned with their need. And I just have to say, God, give me the help and the strength. I don't have it. I'm through. I've wiped out God. Strengthen me, Lord, because I want to represent you. I don't want to get in a hurry. I don't want to get pushy with people. I don't want to push them away because I don't want people to think that God is pushing them away. God's representative. The ministry that is ours. And so as we have received mercy, we faint not. God gives us that help and that strength. Now, in verse 5, Paul said, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. We have an incurable desire to receive glory and honor from man. Our old flesh, and you're all living in a body of flesh. None of you have received your metamorphosis yet. And your old body of flesh delights in receiving glory and honor from man. I love it when people think that I am more spiritual than I really am. Now isn't that horrible? That my old flesh delights in people thinking that I am deeply spiritual? What a horrible thing to delight in. 
I delight in the glory and the attention of man. My flesh does. That's how evil my flesh is. And if I would allow my flesh, it would color the stories and tint the stories so that some of the glory or much of the glory would come to me. I become the hero in the story. I become the wise man with the answer. It was my prayers that finally broke through. And if you will examine what you've been saying, much of it has been to draw the glory of people to you that they might think that you are really more spiritual than you really are. But one thing God will not do is share His glory with man. And therefore, it is absolutely vital that I keep my body under under control the old flesh desires that I keep them under because if I don't keep my flesh under it's going to be up there taking the bows seeking to take the glory and the credit and receive the applause of the people and the oohs and the ahs and the more success God gives to your ministry, the more prevalent is the tendency of man to elevate you. And thus, the greater is the necessity of keeping your body under. As we were walking away from the Anaheim Stadium the other night, about 25,000 people there so and my son Jeff was with me and he said well what did you think of it dad and I said this thing could be extremely dangerous and he said what do you mean I said did you notice how much exaltation there was of man personalities now the real danger is that when they begin to magnify the personalities. I noticed that many of these personalities that they were magnifying began to take on the, the star-studded you know, aura that was being pumped towards them by the people. In other words, all of a sudden, I am important, oh my, that's me they're applauding for, you know. And so you go into a little act. You're not real. You're not yourself. Now it's, you know, I'm trying to over-emote so that they will really know how wonderful I really am kind of a thing. And I become impressed with myself because of the way the people are responding or reacting. And I told Jeff, I don't like to be in situations like this. I don't like to be up there, you know, where Chuck Smith. <laughs> that, that's bad. That's bad. Because I'm not above. My flesh isn't above. Thinking, Chuck Smith. 
And my flesh could pick up on that real fast. And it is something that you've got to constantly be keeping in balance in, in your ministry. Because people are going to try to put you up on that pedestal. But as sure as you try to stand on that pedestal, you're going to get cut down. God's not going to share His glory. So we preach not ourselves. Be careful that we don't preach ourselves. That we don't seek to set ourselves in a beautiful, glorious light. But we preach Christ. It is a tragedy, I think, that God has to use man. It seems to me that angels could do such a much more effective job. But God has chosen to use man. And God has chosen to use you. But to be used of God is a heavy responsibility and to be continued in that use by God, you must keep your body under. You cannot allow the flesh to arise and begin to exalt your flesh. For he that exalteth himself shall be abased. And God will abase you. Paul's fear was, and the reason for his keeping his body under, was lest having preached to others, I would be put on the shelf. I would become a castaway. I'd be cast aside, no longer usable by God. And you can see throughout the world so many men who once had powerful, mighty ministries sitting on the shelf because they failed to keep their bodies under. But we preach Christ, Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, servants. That's what the word minister means. Jesus set the example for us, for his disciples. The night in which he was betrayed, he took the towel and girded himself with the towel and he went around and began to wash the disciples' feet, which was the duty of the servant when you came into a house. And when challenged about it, he said, I have set before you an example. Not that we are to wash feet, but we are to look at our position as a servant. Not in a position of I start ordering people around to do my work or to do God's work. I am not there at Calvary Chapel as a Lord over the flock but I am there as a servant to the flock. I am there to pick up after them. 
I am there to be available for them and for their needs and for their problems. I am there to help them whenever possible. I'm not there to lord over them or to rule over them. And if you want really to be a true Christian minister, you've got to see yourself as a servant. That's what the minister is. Now Jesus said the Gentiles or the heathen love to exercise authority and lordship. But it shall not be so among you, for whosoever among you would be the chief, let him be the servant of all. So I preach not myself, but I preach Jesus Christ as the Lord. I'm not the Lord. I preach Jesus Christ as the Lord and ourselves servants for His sake. You need to have that concept of the ministry. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. This glorious treasure that we possess, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the commission to share that gospel with the dying world, it surely is the greatest treasure in the world today. The most valuable treasure in the world is, is salvation through Jesus Christ. What should it profit a man if he would gain the whole world but lose his own soul? This treasure in Jesus Christ, the salvation, the glorious gospel, the good news, this treasure, what did God put the treasure in? earthen vessels or clay pots. Now the Lord delighted in ludicrous situations. He often created ludicrous situations. When the Midianites invaded the land of Israel, 135,000 like grasshoppers covering the earth. 135,000 like grasshoppers covering the earth. The angel of the Lord came to Gideon as he was at the threshing floor of his father and he said, Gideon, go in this thy might and deliver the children of Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. He said, Oh Lord, my father's family is nothing and I'm the least in my father's household. You don't mean me. How do, how do I really know you're calling me, Lord? Let me fix you something to eat and fix the angel something to eat. And of course, he put his thing out in the fire, consumed it. Lord, be patient with me. This is a heavy thing you've called me to do. Let me put out this fleece tonight. Finally convinced, so he called the army sounded the trumpet and 32,000 Israelites responded. 
And the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Gideon saying, The men that are with you are too many. Why? Because I know the heart of the people. And if I would deliver the Midianites into the hands of the 32,000, they would glory in what they had done. You see, the reason why God was creating this totally, absolutely ludicrous situation is because God knows the stupidity of man. And God knows how the flesh loves to glory and receive glory. And God doesn't want the flesh to glory in what God has done. God, when He works, wants to receive the glory Himself for the work that He has wrought. God doesn't want you attracting people to you or to your ministry. God wants you attracting people to Him. Go out and tell your army, Gideon, everyone who is afraid to fight, go home. He called the troops and he said, Okay, fellas, all of you that are afraid to fight, go home. And 22,000 of them turned and went home. Now we're getting better odds. It's down to 13 and a half to 1. Gideon! The men that are with you are too many. I know the heart of these people. God knows the heart of man. God knows how incurably self-righteous we are. God knows how incurably we are as, as far as our desire for glory. And God has to make the thing absolutely ridiculous. Take them down to the river. Let them get a drink and watch how they drink. Those that get down and put their face in the water, send them home. And those that will pick it up in their hand and lap it as a dog, then by these I will deliver the Midianites into your hand. Gideon counted the 300 and set them aside. Why? In order that only God could get the glory. Now, it is ludicrous to take such a valuable treasure and put it in such a cheap vessel. The most glorious treasure in the universe is placed in a common clay pot in order that the attention might be drawn to the contents and not to the pot. God makes it absolutely ludicrous. The glorious treasure, gospel of Jesus Christ, is put in this earthen vessel, in me, in order that the glory of the excellency might be unto God, the excellency of the power unto Him, and not unto us. Now, I heard Norman Grubb one time say at that minister's prayer conference up there at Forest Home that Armin Gesswein had years ago, and it was there that I first met Armin, and it was there that God used Armin to help me 
realize how powerful God was that even Lutherans could be saved. (laughs) And really committed to Jesus Christ. And Norman Grubb, speaking there in the deep things of God, declared that the greatest capacity of man is that of a container. I can actually contain God. God dwells in me. This treasure in an earthen vessel. But wait a minute. I don't think that that is the greatest. That's a marvelous capacity. But the contents aren't in the vessel to stagnate there. The contents are in the vessel in order that they might be poured out to those that are in need. Thus, the greatest capacity is not that of containing God, but that of sharing or pouring forth God to a needy life. that as a vessel containing God, I can actually pour forth the contents to a needy world around me. That's God's objective for your life. There must always be the subjective work of God, that which God does for you, but He always does it with an objective in order that through you He might reach others or be poured out to others. So the highest capacity comes not when I'm containing, but when I'm pouring forth the contents. Now, what we must be extremely careful about is that when we pour forth the contents, that it comes forth as pure as possible. without the taste of the vessel. You ever had a vessel that tasted the water? My daughter loves cinnamon tea. And we have a pitcher in our house that is devoted to orange juice. And we bought it to contain orange juice. And a couple of weeks ago, our daughter made, well, she made her tea and then she poured the cinnamon tea in this orange juice container. And ever since then, I've had cinnamon-tasted orange juice. Cinnamon-flavored orange juice. Now, I don't mind cinnamon flavor. I don't like cinnamon-flavored orange juice. But unfortunately, this vessel got the taste of the cinnamon, and now I get the taste of cinnamon, and I'm about ready to throw it away or give it to her for a wedding present so that she can keep her tea in it. 
But we've got to get a new orange juice container because I just don't like cinnamon-flavored orange juice. I like orange juice, orange juice. And orange juice-flavored orange juice. When the vessel starts putting the taste of the vessel into the contents, it's time to get rid of the vessel. You don't want the taste of the vessel in the contents. You want only the taste of the content. People don't need to have your taste lingering in their mouth when you're through ministering with them. When they come to receive God and the Word of God and the contents of the Spirit of God from your life, let it pour forth as pure as possible without you getting your little flavor and taste into the thing. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. This glorious gospel containing of God in this life. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now as ministers, no one said it was going to be easy. Jesus said a servant isn't greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they didn't receive me, they're not going to receive you. And so Paul speaks about the Christian ministry distressed, perplexed. We go through heavy, deep trials where once a week we want to quit our church. (laughs) Or three times a day, whatever the case may be. No one said it's going to be easy. And if you were looking for something easy, then you shouldn't have gotten into it. And if you're still looking for something easy, you ought to get out of it. And if it is easy, you probably aren't a true minister. We're distressed on every side. But the secret, the secret of it all, the secret that you must learn is the ability to see the invisible. If you can develop this capacity, you can go through every distressing, perplexing situation and come out on top. But you've got to develop the capacity of seeing the invisible. For we look not at the things which are seen. That's how, though I'm distressed, I'm I'm never cast down, you know, perplexed, not destroyed. Why? Because I can see what other men don't see. I see the invisible. For we look not at the things which are seen, 
For these things are only temporal, but the things which are not seen, for they are eternal. The classic case of Elisha the prophet of Israel when Ben-Hadad the king of Syria was planning all of these ambushes against the king of Samaria and every ambush that he would set up Elisha would go to the king of Samaria and say now stay away from this place they've got an ambush set for you there and Elisha didn't save him once nor twice but just many times until the king of Assyria called his generals together and he said, all right, fellas, which of you is for my enemy? And they said, really, king, none of us are for your enemy. We're all loyal. We're not traitors. But there's a prophet of God over there in Israel and you can't talk to your wife in your bedchamber but what he doesn't know what you're saying. <laughs> and so Ben-Hadad said, Find out where he is and bring him captive. And so they heard that he was in the city of Dothan. And so the Syrian army at night moved in with their chariots, with their infantry, and they surrounded the city of Dothan. And in the morning when the servant of Elisha, the prophet Gehazi, awoke and went out, He looked upon the hills and he saw the Syrian army, the chariots of Syria. And he came in to Elisha with the despairing cry, Alas! The common vernacular equivalent is, We've had it! And Elisha didn't even go out. Didn't even get disturbed didn't get upset. He said, Oh Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And the eyes of Gehazi were opened and he saw the chariots of the angels of God all around them and all surrounding the Syrian army. And he had a complete change of attitude. <laughs> it was no longer, Alas, Master, we've had it. It was, alas, Master, they've had it. <laughs> he now sees things from a whole new perspective. The ability to see the invisible. As you read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and it tells you of the tremendous exploits of the men of faith in the Old Testament, and how God blessed them and prospered them with Cadillacs. <laughs> and perfect health. How that they wandered around in rags, destitute, how they were stoned, how they were sought in two, men of whom the world was not worthy. For they endured all of the stonings and the 
beatings and the imprisonments and the destitution they endured, it says, as seeing the invisible. You see, therein is always the secret. The man of faith, rather than being blind, has a better sight than anybody else. He sees more than anybody else. The man of faith sees what the others cannot see. And thus he does not despair. He is not cast down. He is not destroyed because he can see more than anybody else. Where the others are only looking at the obvious, physical, visible things, he sees the power of God above and beyond. Now, every time I start getting my eyes on situations, I start going under. And it is then that the Lord has to lift me out and let me see beyond and above the situations to the greatness of God and to the power of God. We do despair many times only because we're looking at what can be seen. And I've tried every avenue. And there's no way out. I might as well lie down and die. You're looking at only that which can be seen. You've lost sight of the invisible. You've lost sight of God and the greatness and the power of God. It's easy to lose sight of God. When we were in that particular phase where we had to get out of the facility that we were in just because we had so outgrown the little chapel. And the Lord opened the door for us to buy that ten acres. And we had a huge building prospect before us. We had $67,000 The 10 acres cost us 300, $300,000. A man loaned us $90,000. So we were able to borrow from the savings and loan $150,000. The improvements alone were going to cost us $100,000. In fact, $112,000. The tent cost us $16,000. And here we were. In a growing church, we really had it made. We were in triple services. The very fact that we had $67,000 in the bank was great because everything was paid for. Here we are in good shape. We've got $67,000. We could just stay right here where we are, let things be overcrowded, and be very comfortable. Not comfortable, really. I mean, financially comfortable, but not physically comfortable because, you know, there's so many people. It was uncomfortable. 
As I would drive up Sunflower Avenue and wait for the left turn arrow to go down Fairview and go home, I would look over at that huge plot of ground and in my mind would come the tremendous obligations that were before us, what I was taking and leading these people into. Buildings that were going to cost more than a million dollars. With most donated labor. And I would start getting the qualms and, and wanting to back out and wanting to run. And I'd say, what am I doing to these precious people? leading them into something as gigantic as that. And of course the thoughts start coming, what are you going to do in the year when the $90,000 is due? And in the two years when the $150,000 is due? And then how are you going to in the meantime in those two years put out over a million dollars to build new buildings? What are you doing to these people, Chuck? And the Lord would say to me, whose church is it? And I'd say, well, it's your church, Lord. Who created this whole situation? You did, Lord. Then why are you worried about it? And I'd say, well, I don't know, Lord. It's just my nature. No, you see, I'd start to see the invisible. I'd start to see what others weren't seeing. And by the time I got to the San Diego Freeway, I was totally free. I was, praise the Lord, it's His church. If the whole thing goes down the tubes, it's His church going down the tubes, not me. It's His church. Let Him worry about where it's going to come from. But the Lord had to take me through that lesson two or three times a week. Where I would start to get under the burden of it and then the Lord would again remind me, whose church is it? And when I get my eyes off of what I could see and onto what I couldn't see, I rested, I had peace, I had victory, I had joy. In the ministry, you've got to have the spiritual insight if you're going to survive. Because you are going to get into dilemmas and situations, distressing situations, that you're not going to be able to figure the way out yourself. And you may try every possible avenue and find every door closed and be left in an absolute dilemma. But then God always has ways that we don't know about anyhow. And just because I've exhausted the capacities of my own puny little brain, it doesn't mean that God has exhausted all the possibilities in a situation. 
And unbelief usually arises from our trying to figure things out. And when we get to that place where we can't figure out how God can do it, then is where unbelief usually takes over. Because I believe that if I can't figure it out, there's no way to do it. But that's magnifying my own understanding far beyond what it should be magnified. For God has resources that you know nothing about. God has ways that you haven't even thought of. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are beyond your finding out, saith the Lord. And you've got to develop that spiritual insight to where you can begin to see the things that others cannot see. You begin to see the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus Christ working in his church and his ability to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. We get our eyes upon the situation and we always become defeated because we are so limited. The, the king was walking on the wall and a lady said, have mercy on me, king, and, and judge me. And he says, what do you want me to do? Go to the barn floor and sweep up something for you? I'm as hungry as you are, lady. What's your problem? She said, well, yesterday this lady and I made a covenant together. We were going to eat her baby, or we were going to eat our babies, and yesterday we ate my baby. And now she's hit her baby, and we, she, she won't produce it so we can eat it. And the king tore his clothes and he said, God help me if I don't have the head of that Elisha. Interesting thing. The king wanted to blame the prophet of God for his problems. Though it was really the king's fault for the problems. Elisha was sitting in his house with some of his friends and he says, look what that son of a murderer is going to do now. He's sending a guy down here for my head. He said, when the guy gets here, he said, pin him fast with the door. For behold, the steps of his master are right behind him. And so footsteps came up on the door and this guy knocked. And the guys opened the door and pinned him and held him. And behind him, here came the king. And he said to Elisha, art thou the one that is troubling Israel? Elisha said, no, you got it wrong, king. You're the one that's been troubling Israel. You brought in the Baal worship and all this kind of stuff. You're the one that's brought this problem. But don't worry. Tomorrow morning, they'll be selling a bushel of wheat for 65 cents, fine flour there in the gate of the city. A bushel of barley, two bushels of barley for 65 cents. And the man upon whom the king leans says, if God would open up windows in heaven, could such a thing be? How could God do that? These people are so hungry. How could God do that? You see, he was looking at it from a purely human standpoint, trying to figure out how God could do it. And then he becomes ridiculous, mocking. If God would open up, he saw God going around pulling open windows in heaven and dumping flour down. It became foolish. 
prophet said, hey fella, you'll see it, but you won't eat it. For God had ways that they hadn't even thought about. For we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. You've got to develop the spiritual insights. You've got to see greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is the power of God than any situation that you could be facing. Greater is God's power than any diagnosis of any doctor, anything else. you got to keep your eyes on God and not on the situations. The Christian ministry is not easy unless it's impossible, unless you keep your eyes on the Lord. you'll go under. Unless you keep your eyes on Him. So, you're the messenger. (laughs) Man, what good news you have to carry. What a treasure to the world. God put that treasure in your old pot. (laughs) You're the earthen vessel. Let the contents flow forth unadulterated. Let them flow forth pure. And just keep your eyes on Jesus. Knowing that you represent Him before those people before whom you stand. And they're going to develop their ideas and concepts of God from what they see in you. But a messenger has to have a message. And what is the message that you are bringing to the people? I am convinced that in 98% of the churches today, the problem with the church is that they are bringing the wrong message to the people. And that's why the churches are struggling for finances, for enthusiasm, for workers, for life. Is because the message that the church is bringing to the people is not a true biblical message. or only a part and really a minor part of the message and we have been actually emphasizing the wrong thing in our ministry. I did for years. I emphasized the wrong things. My preaching, I was preaching, my emphasis was entirely opposite of what it should be. And when I began to preach God's message of the New Testament rather than the typical church message is when God began to bless 
the people and bless the church and add to the church. And the Lord didn't really give me this insight and help me to define it until just this last weekend. And so tomorrow night we'll be sharing with you the message. And I think that this is very vital for each of you messengers to make sure of the message that you're carrying to the people. And I'm excited about serving God. And I'm thrilled with the privilege of representing Him. And yet, I'm appalled at the responsibility that is on me because I am His representative. Paul speaks about running in vain. Oh, God help that we don't run in vain. God keep us from that trap of glorying or receiving glory. God keep us from that trap. It has destroyed so many Shakespeare has one of his characters saying Cromwell flee ambition for by this sin the angels fell seeking glory for myself instead of God it destroyed Lucifer and it can destroy you Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will just take your word and burn it into our hearts. And help us, Lord, that we will not be like the man who looks in the mirror and immediately forgets what he saw. But may we become doers of the word and not hearers only. And as Paul said, Lord, help us that we might examine ourselves and judge ourselves, lest we would be judged of Thee. May we take, Lord, well, better than that, Lord, let Your Holy Spirit turn the light on and reveal what is in our heart. Search me, O God. Know my thoughts. Try me, know my ways. See if there be some way of wickedness in me, Lord. Reveal it in order that I might repent and confess of it and be clean before you, God. In order that I might stand before thee someday and receive your approbation. Well done. Good, faithful servant. God, I don't want to be knocking and hear the voice saying, Depart, I never knew you. Lord, I prophesied in your name. I preached to people. I prayed for the sick.
May we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.